Welcome to Ulcerative Colitis Autoimmune Healing Journey. I am your journey guide, Jay India. I am so glad you're here because we can journey together and we can heal together. This is episode 11, Colitis Causes Childhood Trauma Symptoms, Part 1. This is a really big topic. Uh, If you go to the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation, They claim that there is no emotional component to ulcerative colitis and IBD, which I completely disagree with. I am behind their organization. I think they do good work, but I could not disagree with that more because that is taking the mind, body, soul component out of this disease. So I just want people to realize that I also want people to look at who sponsors the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation. It's all big pharmaceutical. So, you know, big pharmaceutical (laughs) does not have an interest in if you're trying to heal yourself holistically and, you know, do therapy and cure your mind and heal your mind. So just, you know, just take in all the information. I do understand that people do need the big pharmaceuticals and I did to heal. So I definitely don't want to discredit or discount them in any way. But I do want to say that, you know, we have to look at the whole spectrum of IBD and one of the components is mind, right? So I want to talk today about the emotional causes, childhood trauma, and what I've been through. I want to tell you my story and it may resonate with you. So let's get started. If you heavily research UC or ulcerative colitis, you will find that emotional stress is a big factor for not only UC, but autoimmune disease across the board. UC expert who I've talked about many times, Jeannie Patel Thompson of listentoyourgut.com reports that emotional stress counts for 60% of UC. I not only agree with her, but I think it's higher in my case. I think it's more like 70%. And of course, diet absolutely was a factor. Genetics absolutely was a factor. But I think the biggest factor was the childhood trauma that I hadn't dealt with. So before I move on, I should say that I have to give you an activation warning because I am going to be talking about childhood sexual abuse. I am not going to be giving any details, but I will mention it. And I will talk about, you know, how I fared emotionally from it. So if that's activating for anyone, please consider stopping this episode and going back to it when you're ready to or not listening at all. But if you are ready to listen, just know that that will be detailed in this episode. As I reached 43 years old, which was last year, I am now 44, I had these memories just rolling around in my head. I had childhood memories of an adult saying inappropriate things to me. I stayed at a caretaker's home or a babysitter after preschool from the ages of four to six. And that was 40 years ago, right? I'm 44 now. That was 40 years ago. Now let's go back, not go back, go forward. I don't know. Let's jump to uh, 2019. My husband and I were searching for farms to buy. And we walked into this 
farmhouse, which we own now, we did buy it. And it's a 1930s vintage farmhouse. And when I first viewed it, it reminded me of something. And I couldn't put my finger on it. Later, as the memories emerged, I realized that my kitchen smelled similar to the caretaker's kitchen. It has these varnished wood cabinets and it has this tinge of older house mustiness. Then I recalled the caretaker's sunken kitchen, which I do not have, but that kitchen had long wooden tables with benches, a picture window that was backlit for anyone who sat on the far bench. The caretaker's house possessed a sinister quality Uh, dim hallways, there were sunny rooms, and there was one in particular, a playroom where odd things would happen. Things as a young child I couldn't explain, but I knew were wrong, where I was told to keep these events quiet, and they also involved another child. The caretaker, who was a woman, I know that may surprise you, and her husband never interacted I remember thinking even at age four to age six, that's so strange. My mother told me he was a brilliant in his field, but from a child's perspective, I saw an odd man with this wild hair who didn't fit into our culture. He was European. Uh, If I walked by his home, He sat in the dark typing and muttering to himself. Looking back now, the caretaker seemed lonely. It was hardly a marriage from what I observed. And maybe that's one reason for the caretaker's tragic decisions. To protect the other child involved, who is obviously an adult, I won't offer any more details about the caretaker. I don't know this child, now adult. I have not seen her for more than 25 years. Yet curiosity overtook me and I searched and found her online. I did not contact her. She does have children of her own. It's her choice to tell them. And of course, I would never take that choice away from her. There are many complications to this story, uh, such as the husband is still alive and thriving in his field, and the caretaker passed away a long time ago. The caretaker sexually abused both the child and me. For the early 1980s, a female predator was unheard of. In school, you know, you had that underlying tone of stranger danger, and it was very male-oriented. Back then, the school would teach you, if an adult touches you, you tell someone. But they skipped the advice of what happens if you're incredibly young, and you don't even know what's happening, and the abuser tells you to keep this secret at all costs. Thank goodness for Oprah. Yes, that's Oprah Winfrey. With this regard, she revealed on her fame talk show that when she was molested as a child, though it's an absolute violation, purely from a physical standpoint, the victim derives pleasure. Sexual abuse is complicated. It's confusing, especially being a young child who that doesn't even know what sex is. Thus, I hid the abuse. From you know my 2020 hindsight perspective now, I had obvious symptoms such as frequent UTIs or urinary tract infections, bedwetting, anxiety and insomnia, 
I would hide chocolate under my bed. When my mother found it, she was angry because our main fights consisted of my picky eating and my impossible hair that I wanted her to braid perfectly. I was a skinny, bony child despite all of my sugar consumption. To this day, I feel that if I had been an overweight child in the 1980s, someone would have brought me to a counselor or perhaps, I hate to say this word, but that's what they used to call it, fat camp, sorry about that, where I could have told a responsible adult about the abuse, but due to my thin, bony frame, no one raised questions. And by the way, hiding the chocolate under my bed caused a 40-year unhealthy relationship with sugar that I am just unwinding from. I had a belief coding session, which is, uh, how would I describe it? It's energy healing combined with tapping, EFT tapping, which I may discuss in another episode because that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. But I've been, you know, struggling for the past 40 years to stop viewing chocolate and sugar as love as unconditional love, as safety. And the safety part, that one came to me just recently. So, you know, I'm really trying to divorce myself from white sugar or processed sugar. So I remained in the prison of my mind as a child going into, you know, teenagehood, adulthood. In the fifth grade, I had the child equivalent of a nervous breakdown for seemingly no reason. By then, the memories had dissipated not to reemerge again until last year at age 43. Everything caused me anxiety, school, sports, happy social occasions, even opening my locker at school. I kept quiet. When the breakdown happened, my father arrived at the guidance counselor's office. They were like, I don't know what's wrong with this girl. I heard them mumble about how stressful it is for some children to transition to middle school. Throughout high school, the insomnia and anxiety worsened. My sugar addiction raged. I was tired all the time to the point that my mother and I visited a couple physicians who had no answers. My stomach would ache sometimes, but you know, that's normal, right? No, it's not normal. It's not normal at all. And let me help you cut the line here. And uh, give you a spoiler alert, that was the trauma leaking through my body. I couldn't keep holding it in my DNA, in my cells anymore, and that was the start of it leaking through. So throughout college going into my 20s, I can honestly say I barely slept. I saw the rising sun more than I care to admit. In my mid-20s, I was under duress both professionally and personally. I was also in a job that I hated and a relationship I couldn't fix. I was experiencing the most painful UTIs or urinary tract infections that brought me twice to an emergency room. The constant stinging, it was torturous pain. It did not subside. My days filled with physical, mental, and emotional anguish. It reached a peak during which I did not sleep for two weeks. At that time, I was seeing a therapist. She was really nice. She was a nice young lady, but she was starting out and not exceptional. To her defense, I attended therapy for a mere several sessions and then stopped. When the two-week insomnia happened, she was my therapist. 
she referred me to a psychiatrist who barely talked with me and ordered three prescriptions, two for anxiety and one for insomnia. I tried taking them for a week. And instead of helping the situation, I ended up with migraines and more anxiety over allowing these pharmaceuticals to infiltrate my body. Uh, So what happened was the insomnia then waned to my normal insomnia. I visited over 20 doctors to diagnose UTIs. This was the early 2000s. One female doctor instructed me to take a long bath. I wish I was kidding or exaggerating. Another doctor said this was all in my head. And I do want to make a side note here that I know a lot of women, and you may be one of them, and I understand where you're coming from, that you will only go to a female doctor. I disagree with this. Because when I went to all those 20 doctors, I hate to say it, you guys, I'm not trying to be a traitor to my gender, but the the people or the doctors who rejected me the most and told me it was in my head and were actually not that nice were females. Now, I have an incredible female physician now, so it's nothing against females, trust me. But I do not look at the gender of the doctor to find a good doctor. And I recommend that you think about that as well. Because just because someone has a boy part or a girl part, (laughs) that doesn't necessarily make them a good doctor. I've been to gynecologists who are exceptional and are males and females. I've seen both. But definitely, you know, think about that if you're looking for, let's say, a gastroenterologist and you will only go to a male or you will only go to a female. I think you're really hindering yourself in that. And the gastroenterologist I have now is a male and he's exceptional. So again, you know, I have my physician who's a female and my gastroenterologist who's a male and I have my gynecologist who's a female. So I don't care about gender. And, uh, you know, I just want to give you that FYI. So I found a great physician back then in the early 2000s who put aside his ego and said, I don't know what this is, but I know of an excellent urologist At the urologist visit, I underwent the most painful test of my life. The nurse, who did not tell me this test would be excruciatingly painful, inserted a catheter into my bladder without anesthesia. And by the way, male patients receive anesthesia. I can only hope today that females do too. And I find this a lot, you guys. And I understand it's the anatomy of the body. I totally get it. But you will find... I've had two tests where males get anesthesia and females don't. And I'm not saying there's something sexist in that, but I really do think there's something sexist in that. I had the amazing discomfort of the nurse injecting unknown substances into my bladder to test how it would react. And for a bonus, the last part was me peeing into a bowl in front of her. (laughs) I fully understood at that moment the term performance anxiety because that's what I had. She had to leave the room and return when I was at full stream. So this is, you know, this is what we do to get diagnosed, right? The good news is I received a diagnosis, interstitial cystitis or IC. Back then, because no one knew what it was, they explained it as if a person has too many extreme UTIs, this rips away the bladder lining. Nowadays, millions of people have IC, and new research explains it as a histamine reaction. 
Once I had the diagnosis, I had the knowledge and power to heal. I changed my diet to no acidic juices or fruit. For every glass of wine, I would drink two full cups of water. I do not drink alcohol anymore, but back then, I don't go for too long without eating, though intermittent fasting of 14 hours is fine, and I keep stress levels down as best as I can. So the modality that I believe healed my IC to the point that it comes back every so often, but I don't even remember sometimes I have it anymore, which is awesome. Uh, And it does return on rare occasions with PMS, but that modality is acupuncture. I visited the acupuncture clinic that I could easily afford for six months. Uh, This was up in Boston. What worked for me was the acupuncturist needling my lungs and bladder, but nowadays good acupuncturists should know how to needle for IC. I started with one treatment a week, then bi-weekly, then once a month, and then I was done. Acupuncture will also play a part in my UC healing, but I'm going to discuss that later. Are you noticing a pattern? Are you noticing it? My body had begun to break down in the area where I was sexually abused, the bladder, the urethra, and the vaginal, later the rectal area, right? I was still tucking everything inside. I had not explored the idea of a lengthy stretch of therapy to delve into certain emotional and relationship problems. Problems that at that time, well, no, at that time I didn't understand, but now I know occur because of sexual trauma. My emotions, feelings, and memories continue to suck inward like a slow moving vacuum and trauma annexed my DNA and coded my cells, everything I held inside. All the pain, the violation, the secrets, I crammed them into my body. Even with the IC, the interstitial cystitis in my 20s, not many people knew. Job disappointment, personal upset, everything. I had developed a pattern, hold it in, do not talk to anyone. Every time I had an anxious feeling, I felt it in my stomach and intestines, It was more than butterflies. It was a fight or flight response. And I know you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. While I was driving, if another car darted its nose into the road suddenly, I felt it in my stomach. If I received an unexpected email that appeared to be gloom and doom, and it wasn't, my stomach clenched. Worry, fear, anxiety, I stored it all in my stomach and intestines until I couldn't. I just couldn't do it anymore. I will make a big statement here. Most likely, all of us with UC are holding on to something that the inside of our bodies can no longer store. Whether it's a childhood or other trauma, it's now invading outward and into our physical bodies. Unintentionally and subconsciously, please know that this is not your fault. I'm going to say that a second time. Please know This is not your fault. We are holding on to our deepest secrets, traumas, and pain inside our guts and intestines. And this action causes us absolute hell. All of it must be released in a healthy way. 
So I just want to add in, I forgot to say this at the beginning. I am not a health professional. I am not a doctor in any way. You disagree with anything I say today. If you want to check on anything I say today, please consult your doctor or health professional. So how do we release this emotional trauma, this childhood trauma, this pain? How do we release it? Because we have to. And I'm telling you, that was my first step to healing. That was it. That was it. Beyond the diet, and you're going to hear, because I was eating a shitty diet as I was pulling out of this flare. But the emotional pain, the emotional trauma is what was eating me alive. I was told at four years old to keep this secret. I kept this secret until 43 years old when I finally told, you know, you're going to hear in the next episode who I finally told. So I want you guys this week to just think about what I said. Think about if any of this resonates with you, and I want you to kind of, no pun intended, digest everything. And also very important, if anything in you got activated in this episode, please, please call a therapist. Please talk to someone. Please go online and talk to someone. You know, talk to a professional. If you're living in the Hudson Valley of New York, where I live, feel free to DM me. I will get you a name. I will get you a name. We have to understand that these traumas manifest physically. And when the body can't hold it anymore, this is what happens. If you're listening to this podcast, you have ulcerative colitis. Hell, you may have IC as well, you know, interstitial cystitis, what I had. I have heard from so many people with IBD who don't just have IBD. They have Crohn's plus endometriosis. I just talked to, just today, you guys, today, an hour before I was recording, I had someone come over to um, measure my uh, bedroom for a new flooring. And he was from the flooring place, really nice guy. And he told me that he has something like diverticulitis and he has another issue that he wasn't willing to talk about. So a lot of these things go hand in hand and that's understandable because when trauma evades the body, it's not bias, you know, it'll invade anywhere it can. And I want you to think about the fact if you've been violated either sexually or emotionally or verbally, however it is in any way, not only do you need to talk to someone immediately, but you also and seek professional help, of course, is what I mean. But you also need to think about what area of the body you're holding this in. And most likely, if you're listening to this and you have an IBD, and I have a feeling I have listeners who not only have IBD, but have autoimmune disorder. So I'm talking to people who may be listening to this with fibromyalgia or alopecia or, you know, all the autoimmune disorders, the Hashimoto's disease, you need to really think about that. Where did this trauma manifest in the body? And that really has helped me. But I want to get into all of that in another episode. I just want everyone to think about what I said. 
I'm sorry, I'm going to keep repeating myself. Talk to a professional if you need to. And next week, I am going to talk about how I released the emotional pain. So next week will be emotional as well, but there's going to be a light at the end of the tunnel because there's a lot of light at the end of this tunnel. And if we're healing together, we're going to uplift each other and see that light together. So if you don't know this already, as I end every episode, when you have a perfect poo in this house, it's called a green heart day. And I wish you all green heart days.